try that again. Welcome to our Saturday simulcast, uh, joined by Brian Newbert and Mike Carmen. I'm Alan Karpik, and welcome uh, to this. Uh, this will be the uh, January 7th edition of Saturday Simulcast. Boilermakers uh, got off a, a big win last night in Columbus, and the Boilermakers Purdue winning 71-69 uh, the final, and a huge win for Purdue on the road. And Brian, you were there, saw it in person, and uh, documented it well but uh, hard to minimize that was a tough tough game and the way that game started I I, I just didn't think that uh, Purdue was going to get back in it but uh, they proved me wrong once again yeah when they were uh, down 12 and 0 for 7 from three-point range it seemed like uh, you know they were going to have some issues um, but to their credit I think you saw what Purdue's capable of when they start making threes and uh, you know I think uh, the second half wasn't perfect. There was that stretch of turnovers that was, you know, very easily could have cost them this game, something they're going to have to be on super high alert about kind of moving forward. Um, but when Purdue makes shots, Purdue's pretty good. It's not a coincidence that when Purdue started making threes, all of a sudden Zach Eady gets going too. And I think you have to give Zach Eady a lot of credit too for, for making all the right decisions, you know, um, dealing with Ohio State's pressure. Ohio State probably had to throw a lot of different stuff at Zach Eady than they were planning to. Uh, after losing Zed Key very early in the game. Um, and anything Ohio State did in terms of dropping guards to double on him, he seemed to always make the right read, made the right pass, and to Purdue's credit, they finally made the shots. Yeah, makes a heck of a difference when uh, David Jenkins Jr. comes in and hits three in a row. Uh, uh, looks like a, a a different operation, certainly after that game got started. Mike, your impressions from last night, just in the in the fact that uh, Fletcher Lawyer also really, really, uh, from my perspective, shows an incredible amount of, I don't know, guts, courage, savvy, whatever it is, even when he's struggled as much as he's had shooting the basketball, and yet he's hit the two biggest shots, arguably, in the last two games. Uh, what do you make of that in terms of how he's playing, but also these these freshmen that continue to uh, be, the these freshmen being Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith, continue to absolutely amaze? Yeah, I mean, they, they are impressive. And in, in the exact same play was run last night that was run Monday night. Right. It just Purdue hit the shot this time. And, you know, Lawyer hit the shot the other night. You know, Newman doesn't hit the shot Monday night. If he, Newman hits that shot, then, you know, who knows what happens Thursday. So Purdue staying true to who it wants to be and who it's going to be. They're going to run that play in late game situations as much as possible. Uh, but you know, Lawyer and Smith have, have proven time and time again they're they're legit. I don't think uh, Fletcher's lawyer mom gets enough credit for his toughness. Uh, yeah, had an opportunity to cover her in high school, back at McCutcheon <laughs> back in the day, and uh, she's she's a tough lady. And I think a lot of his toughness comes from her. And he he's a shooter, and they're not going to back down. And if you go back to what he said after the game Monday. You know, they ran the right play. Zach made the right read. They just didn't hit the shot. And they, and they would do it again if they had the opportunity. And they had the opportunity last night to, to do it again. You know, Brian, another formula that just, you know, again, you've been talking about this all year. You both have in terms of wasn't Trey Kaufman's night necessarily. wasn't Brandon Newman's night to really contribute in a way that, that they needed. Uh, it was a game, uh, and you know this more than anyone, in terms of matchups. And yet that formula seems to work. And that has to has to give some level of confidence moving forward that at least nine deep, 
uh, again, it just seems to be interchangeable parts and guys that can make a difference at the right time. And, and that seemed to be the case again in Columbus. Yeah, uh, before I say something about that, I uh, just wanted to add something to what Mike said. You know, I think you got to give Zach Eady some credit here. I mean, Zach Eady is the yeah. load-bearing wall of this team. And a lot of guys with that sort of burden on them and also the clear-cut distinction of being their team's best player, uh, in situations like the last two, they're just taking that ball and shooting it no matter what. They're going to – he's going to turn around. He's going to truck somebody. He's going to shoot a long hook shot that's probably longer out of a sense of obligation more than anything, but to his credit, and I was kind of, I was kind of annoyed when Matt Painter said this before I could write it um, because I wanted to claim credit for the thought, but uh, I think you have to give him <laughs> a lot of credit for making the right basketball plays in really big situations and not necessarily just being the guy who's got to get the shot up just because he's his team's best player. Um, I, I think he's, he's done everything right here the last two games. Uh, to your point, I think about depth, um, you know, Brandon Newman apparently wasn't feeling well in the first half. Yes. Uh, he and Matt Painter had a little conversation outside the locker room afterwards about it. And uh, uh, Painter kind of clarified to him why he didn't play in the second half. Uh, I think that things change a lot when David Jenkins comes in and makes threes, you know. And, yeah. no, no. you know, I think that uh, – uh, I think Caleb first did some positive things yesterday, none bigger than contributing to the turnover there at the end after Painter subbed him in to, uh, to put pressure move, yeah. on in the backcourt. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, Purdue is only going to go as, as, as far as that first five can take them. Uh, but anytime uh, you get a little bit of offense from the bench too, and they just take care of the basketball too. That That's just – you know, I think per, you know, I think people would naturally be inclined to look at Purdue being ranked number one in the country uh, and think they're kind of a finished product. They're not even close to a finished product. Yeah. I think you saw what happened yesterday when Purdue makes threes. Now, let's see what happens when Purdue makes threes and doesn't turn the ball over the way they've turned the ball yeah. over the last two games. Uh, I think Purdue's just got a lot of upside remaining for as good as they've been so far this season. And I say that acknowledging the fact that this game was a coin flip at the end, the same way that Rutgers was a coin flip at the end, you know, Purdue could very easily be two and zero in these last two games. They are one and one in these last two games, but they also could very easily be zero and two in these last two games. That's big 10 basketball, I guess. Interestingly, too, Purdue was a one and a half point underdog yesterday in that uh, win. Uh, uh, so the, it, it, no one's going to call it an upset, but it was a you know it was a game that ex obviously expected to be very hotly contested, and it was. Mike, you've watched uh, Big Ten. Penn Purdue heads to the Palester on Sunday uh, yeah. against Penn State. Who you just yeah, I'm impressed with Micah Shrewsbury just as a coach and the way his team plays. And may bring, and you guys will both have a comment, I'm sure, on this in terms of matchups. Matchups is are everything in, in the Big Ten and in college basketball. Penn State, and I don't know how much you've seen them play, but uh, really is a team that's got can come at you in some different ways that will may make for a challenging, uh, will make for a challenging Sunday evening, I would think, in Philadelphia. Uh, yes. Um, I mean, this this could come down to which team can hit its three-pointers. Uh, because that's yeah. what Penn State does, and obviously Purdue wants to do that, but Purdue has Zach Eady, something that Penn State doesn't have. And, uh, you know, P Penn State struggled with Travion and Zach last year in State College, and yeah. I would expect they'll do the same thing 
this year as far as struggling with that. But Purdue's entry passes into the post have to be better. Um, a lot of turnovers came from that last night uh, in Ohio State. You know, it was as simple as doing some pump fakes, doing some other stuff um, to to get their post players in, in better position and prevent those turnovers from happening. I, I know they're facing a lot of length. They don't have, you know, a lot of height on the perimeter, uh, but um, those, those entry passes have to be better for Purdue to clean up the turnovers. And when you look at the turnovers, that's, that's where a lot of them are coming from. But, you know, with Penn state, it's going to be a hostile environment uh, probably more so than it would be in state college. And, you know, yeah, Purdue's going to have to rise up in in that situation and really take care of the ball and probably lean on Zach Eady a little bit more uh, in this game because they just have a clear advantage. They're, They're going to have a clear advantage there. Brian, familiarity breeds contempt. Obviously, nobody knows one another better than Micah Shrewsbury and Matt Painter and what they'll try to do. Uh, of course, Jack Owens is on the sidelines last night for Ohio State as well. But uh, how do you see that matchup on Sunday? Just because of that, you know, like what Mike outlined, uh, Penn State can do it a lot of different ways. They're tough-minded. Um, you got to think it's going to be a it'll be a real dogfight for Purdue. Yeah, I think. Uh... I, th- I think these games are hard on coaches because they know one another so well. And, yeah. you know, in Mike Shrewsbury's case, he probably still knows Purdue's personnel to a certain extent. I mean, he, he knows, yeah. he knows Zach Eady. Uh, obviously Zach Eady is a very different player now than the one who was at Purdue when, uh, when he was. Um, but I think, you know, they had kind of a funky game plan last year too in, in the big 10 tournament that gave Purdue some problems and uh, I would anticipate them being, um, you know, similarly creative. You know, for as much credit as Micah Shrewsbury gets for being a really good offensive coach, I think, <coughs> excuse me, um, yeah. at his core, he he's kind of a defensive-minded guy too, uh, obviously. And I think he'll have a good game plan in place for, for Edie. Uh, you know, what's funny about the turnovers lately, it's just – I don't know if that's kind of like the, the the transition to Big Ten play where the angles change because yeah because those guys guarding the ball and those guys guarding the post are a little bit longer you know they're they're a little bit taller they're a lot more physical uh, Edie's getting hit in the back a lot harder than he was when you were playing the Southland Conference back in December you know stuff like that um, maybe this is just part of the process for this team learning how to play offense in the big 10. I don't know if we'll ever see a game again where Ethan Morton and Fletcher lawyer combined for eight turnovers. That was the most out of body part of, of Purdue's game yesterday. But the troubling part of this is that uh, it's not the number of turnovers. It's the, it's the clustering of the turnovers. It's a lot like uh, it was a lot like last season, only last year's problems were born out of carelessness. Uh, And this team isn't, isn't good enough to allow ego or hubris to uh, compel them to not value the basketball. Uh, I don't think there's anything more than this just being two games against teams that are pretty good defensively and will really challenge you. Um, But Purdue's got to get it out of its system because, you know, I, I think we've seen here lately that Purdue's not good enough to, to overcome you know, uh, bulk turnovers. Now, 
when you're making shots, you're pretty good offensively. Uh, you're really good offensively. But when you look at what happened yesterday, the turnovers almost kind of offset your breakout three-point shooting game of the season, and that just makes things exponentially harder on you than they have to be. Purdue's just got to clean this up. Um, that's what I what I got, I kind of alluded to before is that you know for a team that's ranked number one in the country, they still got a long way to go to uh, to reach their ceiling as a team. Yeah, maybe a function too of the landscape of college basketball. There just seems to be so much. It seems to be so level, and so um, you know, yes, Purdue is number one. They won't be next week in all likelihood, but uh, uh, that is a. Uh, you're right. There is ceiling to be had, but there is certainly no dominant team. It seems like in the country and in the Big Ten. I mean, it's what's interesting. And I'll start with you, Mike. You know, Indiana blows a what was it, a twenty-three to four lead to start the game last night. Uh, Iowa started making shots, and 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 there was some scuffle at the end of that game too. But Indiana does not beat Iowa in a tough situation. But this league is—you got Northwestern with one record, I believe. Uh, if you're going to pick your top three or four teams, uh, is can you do that even yet uh, from what you see in the league so far? I don't think you can do it with any confidence uh, yeah. right now. Uh, I mean, there's the team that you pick get, goes out and gets beat. I mean, Illinois is a mess, and yeah. who knows if they'll get straightened out. Uh, you know, Indiana's now dealing with two key injuries, uh, and yeah. you know, they they had they had issues even before those injuries. And then when you take those t- two key components off the off the floor, and you just have Trace Jackson Davis in the middle, um, where, where's the rest of the offense going to come from? And you know, you can go right down the line. Wisconsin right now seems to be solid, but uh, Wall didn't play in the second half against Minnesota, and they have Illinois on Saturday, and you know how that plays out. So every team's going to go through their tough stretch. I mean, it's hard to to come up with three and say these are these are the ones moving up right now. But all it takes is a bad week to to send yourself down again. But I would like to ask, ask the class one question here. Okay. If, if Purdue does win Sunday, should they remain number one in the poll? And I understand being number one in January doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything any at any time. But should they remain number one based on the week that they had? When you factor in the big the big picture of this whole thing. Well, I'm allowed I'll, to ask questions, but no, it's a good question, <laughs> Mike Brian. Go ahead. I'm not sure that. <laughs> Purdue was ever the best team in the country. Uh, I think they ascended to number one because that's the nature of not losing in November, December, and the, right. the very start of January. Uh, and once really? Purdue lost, I think that guaranteed they wouldn't be number one next week. Uh, I think you've seen around the country that, you know, stuff changes when you get into your conference and, you know, it, it, it's becoming a cliche, but it seems to be a very popular one right now around coaches all across the country. It's, it's hard to win. It, it's hard to be good in college basketball. And, you know, I think that a lot of teams are dealing with a lot more transition than they, they probably would have in an ordinary year before everything that's changed in college basketball this year. Um, so I think that uh, um, you've seen UConn get into its conference and lose two games. You saw New Mexico, mm-hmm. who was the other unbeaten Um you know, get beat right away, right around the same time Purdue did. All three unbeatens, the last three three standing as unbeatens all lost on like the same day or within 36 hours of one another, uh, something like that. Um, I still think you're early enough in the season where I think just whoever, uh, you know, 
whoever is fresh in most voters' minds probably moves up to number one. Um, and I, I think the fact that Purdue's now got a one next to its win total uh, probably guarantees that a lot of the people who voted them number one uh, probably won't vote them number one again. It is a good question. Um, I don't know who the best co- I don't know who the best team in the country is. I don't know if there is a best team in the country. Um, I, I go for I'm, from I'm this. Glad I don't vote. Well, I, I used to, but I, I no longer do that, and it would be a tough vote. But when you when you still factor in kind of the big picture of what Purdue has done this season, when you look at the body of work, yeah, their, their wins in Oregon. They get the best resume in college basketball, yeah. probably. Their wins still stand out. Yeah, and they're still worthy of maybe be obviously being one or two yeah. in this in this debate. But you know, if they get to this end of the week and they finish two and one with a one point loss to Rutgers at home and basically winning two road games in the Big Ten, you know, is it is that enough for them to, to slide them down? You know, how will voters treat that? And, you know, each 60 of the 60 voters out there, that's how, you know, that's going to be their decision, how they how they do that, assuming that everyone is paying attention to what, what has happened this week. Well, that's the big question. And um, there is the rub. And no, I, think- I, think, I think we all know that as diligent as – we sports writers are in what we do. Um, we are all focused on one team exponentially more than all others. And sometimes when we have to fill out those things, we're tired late on Sunday night. We just look at records. You know, maybe we haven't paid attention to the minutia quite as much, which brings us to the other side of that question is what does the poll do with Rutgers? Um because Purdue or Rutgers just won on the home floor of the number one team in the country. Uh, They're playing pretty well. You know, if Rutgers all of a sudden is a top 25 team, you know, maybe from an optics perspective, that loss for Purdue becomes more of a, uh, well, let's just, uh, let's just leave them there for lack of anyone else to obviously jump in there. I I, I do think a lot of people though, when they vote uh, probably default to blue bloods, um, when, when in doubt, go with a, uh, go with the safety blanket of a Duke or a Kentucky or a Kansas Duke and Kentucky aren't in that mix. Kansas. I don't know. Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I haven't paid as much attention to the national landscape as I probably should. I followed some of the unbeatens, things like that, but, um, it'll be interesting to see what the voters do. Uh, I'm glad I don't vote because I wouldn't want that responsibility. Well, and let me clarify, because because just and again, you're right. It's it is January, but Cincinnati plays uh, Houston at beats play host Houston at three o'clock on Sunday afternoon. I would and and uh, Kansas has got to go to Texas Tech, and both those teams, and that's that's of course Houston's number two, Kansas number three, um, and Purdue did get what fifty nine of the sixty first place votes next time. So if everybody is as analytical and thoughtful as Mike Carmen on this. Yeah, I think you can build it. You could build a legitimate case uh, uh, if Purdue beats Penn State that uh, Purdue deserves that. Well, Rutgers, you know, Rutgers has got, uh, you know, whipped up on Maryland last night. Was it last night? Um, and you got to think Rutgers will, with four losses, would move well into the 15 to 20 range, I would think, in, in the rankings at least. That's assuming uh, they beat Iowa. That's assuming. And that's right. And, and, and and all this is funny. so it's fun talk. And if you're a Purdue fan, it's fun talk to Steve. You'd be thinking about it. But Mike, I think 
well taken. Uh, it'll be it will be interesting to see. Even if Cincinnati, if Kansas uh, or excuse me, Houston wins at Cincinnati by uh, by a point, uh, they still have one loss. So it'll be Big Ten's going to be I really would, interesting. I would tend to think. Because What's that, Brian? Go ahead. The Big Ten's going to be really interesting this year because you're going to see probably a season where whoever's just playing the best in the final two weeks of the season wins the Big Ten because I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of parity. Uh, you know, I think at some point in time, Illinois at least gets their stuff together enough to knock off one or two people who really matter uh, through the course of the season. I think whoever doesn't lose to Nebraska is going to have a huge advantage and. Nebraska is a very different team now than they have been uh, over the years. I think Northwestern has the capability, as they just showed against Illinois, to, you know, uh, play spoiler, uh, so to speak. Um, it's just going to be a really interesting season. Is Michigan State any good? You know, I'm pretty sure Ohio State's good, but we'll we'll kind of find out. They're dealing with a lot of stuff, too, as the last minute of that game uh, illustrated last night, they looked like a young team. They looked like a new team in the, in the final minute of that game, uh, too. Uh, that last set was a disaster. Uh, obviously, Justice Suing throws the ball away under pressure. They just lost their composure, I thought. Um, I think they looked like a team that's relying a lot on freshmen. Um, so we'll see how their season goes. Michigan's starting to play well quietly. Uh, whether that's sustainable or not, we'll see. Um, but I still don't know who's good. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going to become Indiana's season here if Race Thompson's out for a while in conjunction with Xavier Johnson, and they were underachieving anyway with those guys, um, relative to expectation anyway. Uh, so I'm just kind of rambling here, so feel free to stop me whenever. <laughs> well, and, and you know, it's interesting because who would have thought that the Northwestern-Indiana game at noon on Sunday is really an intriguing game? Because it is. here's Northwest and in <laughs> Bloomington. Now, well, I understand you got better things to do with your time, but three and one Northwestern, you know, and Indiana's on the road. And your point, yeah. it just really crapshoots you to determine who's there. Northwestern's not a three and one type of Big Ten team, though. It just so happens that I don't know. They beat Michigan State, didn't they? Back in December. Yeah, on the road. So they've got yeah. Michigan State and they've got Illinois. Uh, I, I guess I should probably give them credit. Um, I don't think they're very good, but uh, I guess you kind of are what your record says you are, right? So uh, were those games more a credit to Northwestern or they were uh, more an indictment of Michigan State and Illinois? Uh, if you watched Illinois <laughs> in that game, they were up big and they just melted down. And Brad Underwood's post-game press conference was hilarious. It was, it was <laughs> the most passive-aggressive, most – I'm going to walk out of this press conference and I'm going to, I'm going to leave my team in Lake Michigan kind of, uh, kind of press conference. Um, he's clearly got a very tenuous grip on that team. Um, they are one of college basketball's preeminent case studies in the viability of the NIL mercenary model. Uh, I think, um, we'll see how it goes for them. Uh, Michigan State, I just don't know how good they are. So I, I don't know if I want to really crown Northwestern quite yet. Um, no. We'll see if they can be consistent. Yeah. And you, I, I, I've, I've well, got you the same answer about the Big Ten I had in like June. <laughs> like, yeah. We're halfway through the season. I still don't know who's really good. Uh, you know, obviously, Purdue's the most accomplished uh, team in the league to this point. Does that mean Purdue's the best team in the Big Ten? 
I think whoever's playing the best at the end of the year, you know, is and whoever doesn't lose to Nebraska. Uh, that's quite a way to boil down the whole Big Ten race, huh? Whoever doesn't lose to Nebraska. Yeah, this will be more Northwestern talk than we'll ever have in this show, probably. But Northwestern, right, loses at home by 16 to Ohio State, loses at home by 29 to Pittsburgh, and yet uh, loses and yet wins at Michigan. Michigan State, uh, like you said, by by all, by seven points, uh, uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see. It's just as a, you know, maybe everybody but Minnesota and Nebraska uh, are going to be in that situation where they that uh, in, on any given night they can get it done. So, all right, we're going to put an end to this, and um, I won't I won't add the word mercifully after that. I'm just saying I'm glad we're putting it in. It's always good conversation, and uh, we will have a, a, our next segment with Tom Deanhart. We'll talk a little. Bit about not very much about the Citrus Bowl, but I'm going to guess we're going to talk about some of Ryan Walt's move moves in terms of coaching and transfer portal, etc. So we'll look forward to that. So stay tuned, guys. Uh, this have was a kind of low energy. I thought that? this segment was kind of low energy. It's going to be up to Tom to make up for it. I think yeah, I've got I, like, I, I, I've got interstate malaise right now. I think so. I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't bring my A game. I, I've been completely directionless. I've been sitting here staring out this window, uh, just completely phone this one in. Uh, thank oh. you for carrying the segment, Mike. <laughs> well, I will yeah. just, as Painter said before the Rutgers games, the ball movement has to has to match the pressure defense, and I'm not sure our ball movement today matched the pressure defense. We're a little that off may have been it. <laughs> yeah, and you got you got to look at the host. Uh, you know, I'm I'm to blame for that. So. And, and why why uh, is it Tom with us on this thing? What did his Hollywood Square get bumped or what? Well, he'll he'll join us from time to time, but we did we. Uh, it's just scheduling today was the challenge. So okay. uh, we'll 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 get uh, we'll get Tom back into the mix as well. But uh, uh, yeah, it's all it's always uh, it's a energy level boost when Mr. Deanhart gets here. I'm going to predict that as well. So all right, guys, thanks again, and uh, we'll be back in about uh, about a a click here and. Uh, Saturday simulcast with Tom Dean Hart and uh, thank you also to the Union Club Hotel uh, for its sponsorship. But Tom, uh, it, it kind of a strange week just going back to what was at least from my perspective. And you did a great job covering it, but you know this whole uh, the way this Purdue season ended in in a kind of it's about as anticlimactic as you could ever get a sixty three to seven loss to LSU, but just the the way that the the game unfolded. Now that you've had a few days and there's been a lot of activity that's really looking ahead, which we'll get to in a minute with Ryan Walters and staff, et cetera. But just you're now a few days removed, four days removed from that game. <laughs> Any great uh, uh, thoughts, uh, clarity uh, of what happened outside of just a completely man team uh, losing uh, in record fashion? Not really anything to say. I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's forget about it. It, it, it was uh, has no real meaning on anything, I guess. Yeah. Um, in fact, they're turning the page here. There's a new coaching staff coming in. Obviously, the issues with the roster have been well documented. Who wasn't playing? It was it, it was the perfect storm, uh, and, yeah. it, and it proved to be a a 
a heck of a torrential storm, if you will. And uh, 63 to 7 was worse than the Auburn game. That was 63 to 14 in the Music City Bowl a couple of years ago. So honestly, I, I there's there's really not much to say. Like I said, uh, I don't see any point in dwelling on it or analyzing it. Yeah. It doesn't really have any value with a new staff coming in. And uh, yeah, just, just one of those days. And uh, some of us thought it could play out like this, and it certainly ended up playing out like that. And uh, yeah, just an ugly day. And uh, but again, for fans, hopefully brighter days are ahead, and there's always hope. Like I said, Al, especially with this new staff coming in, and it's going to be very intriguing to see uh, how this staff ends up coming together. And of course, even more so, right? Who's who's going to come in via the portal? So. There's a lot of moving parts going on right now for Purdue football. You had a chance to talk there, and the best thing you were able to do, maybe uh, down there, was uh, spend a little bit of time with Ryan Walters and get some feeling for that. What were your, you know, just your impressions, not only of what he's focusing on, which is obviously roster management and getting a, a staff continued to get that, which we had an announcement of a couple of new guys here the last couple of days. But talk about just your impressions from that that uh, meeting and where uh, you think uh, Ryan Walters is in the process. Yeah, he's, 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 he's been methodical about it. He talked about how he didn't want to work in haste, didn't want to rush to hire guys. He knows the value of trying to get this right. There's no blue ribbon for being first, right? So, uh, and slowly but surely, we've seen guys added piece by piece. And, of course, his first order of business was wanting to get the coordinators in place. And those were the first two hires, with Graham Harrell coming aboard to run the offense and Kevin Kane to run the defense. So, uh, yeah, slowly but surely, uh, we talked about that. And, uh, you know, Obviously, too, we talked about roster management. We discussed the portal. Uh, uh, he's uh, had a chance, obviously, to, to look at the roster, has a grasp on, on what he has there and, and, and what needs help. I think, Alan, we all can agree there's probably, you know, room to, to add talent just about any position on the roster. Yeah, of course, we've, seen, we've seen one addition, a big addition, and it was with Hudson Card, the quarterback from Texas coming aboard, right? Have to think, right? He didn't transfer to Purdue to be the number two guy. Um, no offense to Mike Lalamo, Ryan Brown, or whoever else is still a quarterback on the roster this spring, but I think this is Hudson, Hudson Card's job to lose. So that was a good first foray into the portal, and it's going to be interesting, like I said, Alan, to see what else they pull out of here the next week or two. Yeah, do you think, and obviously time is of the essence, at least in terms of the window, right? Which walk us through, it's not, it's, is it the 17th? Yeah. What, what is the January, date of January? January 18th, January 18th. But, you know, Alan, these guys are students, right? Sometimes right. people forget this. They actually have to go to class. And for Purdue, that starts January 9th on Monday, right? Right. So if you're a student, you certainly have to be enrolled to, to go to class, right? So, uh, again, I'm sure there's there's always flexibility, right? You can probably enroll a week into classes. Who knows, maybe even two weeks into classes. I'm not sure how deep you can go and still enroll and, 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 and be able to get up to speed for a, for a semester. But, again, a week or two. But I wouldn't be shocked, again, given the fact that classes start on Monday. Maybe we hear some news this weekend on commitments, right? Some other guys uh, throw their hat in the ring. 
and enroll at Purdue for the second semester. Because always remember this, Alan, too, that these portal guys don't sign any letters of intent. Just because they verbally commit uh, doesn't mean they're going to they're show up. And unlike high school kids who sign a letter that binds them to a school, these portal guys don't, they sign nothing that binds them to a school. The only way a school is guaranteed to get in these guys is if they're enrolled. So again, that's always a big, uh, a big step but to get a guy enrolled into your school. Then, then you, then you've got him, so to speak. So again, I wouldn't be shocked with January 9th being the first day of classes for the spring semester. If maybe we hear about a couple commitments this weekend, like I said too, Alan, I think you could probably bleed into a week, 10 days into a second semester still get a guy enrolled and he can still obviously get caught up with his classes. Did you get any sense, you know, to just talk in your time with talk with Ryan Walters, you know, again, my impression of him is that the first press conference, a very cerebral guy, kind of a, for lack of a better term, mellow isn't the right word, but just kind of, you know, he's, he's, he's not going to overreact this stuff just from a personal standpoint, uh, you know, he's not, he knows he's got a big job because any coach in a new situation in a world, the transfer portal where you're basically managing your entire roster every year, uh, which is nuts. Uh, (laughs) But your overall impression just in terms of where he is uh, with this whole process. Yeah. He's a much, much more cool, calm presence than I. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's cooler on a lot of different levels, Alan, than me. And yeah, you know, that's not saying too much about me, but, but, uh, yeah, you know, he's, he's an engaging person, you know, he's young, 36 years old. You can see where he could connect uh, to the recruits. And you talked about again, that, that calm presence, um, not going to work in haste and not going to panic. And I think that's always a good trait is, is, because you're, you're never of value to anybody, no matter what you're doing in life. If you lose your cool or if you get impatient, you know, uh, and I think uh, at least from my brief interactions thus far, he seems like a guy who's, who's always going to be placid. And you always got to, again, have that that demeanor and the, the calm to keep maintain that calm in the face of a storm, because obviously it happens on Saturdays and you're going to get hit with adversity during the course of the year, whatever you're doing. So he seems to have that type of a disposition. And I'll tell you what, Alan, this entire staff so far, the reported hires, um, all young guys pretty much. They, they, he, he's hired one guy so far over 50, uh, Brick Haley, the defensive line coach from Minnesota, is 56, got out of college, yeah, yeah. Got, got, got a high school in 1984. And then uh, Corey Patterson, the running backs coach, I believe is 42. He got out of college in 2002. Everybody else is, is under 40. So uh, – awfully young right and there, there's always positives and negatives to that i think and uh again that that youthful energy is going to be good they're not going to probably be afraid to try things maybe be a little you know maybe maybe, maybe want, want to take some risks so uh again it's it's been an interesting staff so far and, and by my count the way i figure it alan he still needs an offensive line coach and a running backs coach and i've heard that the special teams position may end up being an off-the-field role. So, again, you're allowed 10 assistant coaches. And from what I can tell, there's only two uh, two openings left. Actually, if there's three if you count special teams. But, again, he's got eight hires. So, unless some yeah. other coach takes on special teams duties, which hasn't been revealed to me yet, and I was told by somebody I, I, I trust that, that that position for Purdue could be an off-the-field role. And that's not unusual, Alan, 
um, to have a, have your have your special teams coach, not even being on the field coach, so to speak. Uh, so again, uh, keep that on your radar. But again, for sure, offensive line, running backs, and maybe we'll hear some some news on that in the next day or two too. Yeah, he's interesting because you know mentoring. We've talked about this, and yeah, we all assume because he's thirty six. Oh, always got he's he's still he's not dry behind the ears yet. But uh, uh, it is going to be important that uh, somebody uh, that maybe uh, whatever his chief of staff to however that however that position plays out for him that he's going to have good sounding. But you've mentioned that too. Now, obviously, Brett Bielema and others, Barry Odom on down the line, aren't going to be able to take a lot of time once the season goes to and and may not have any motivation to help Brian Walters out either. Certainly Brett Bielema is not going to, but by the same token, uh, it's just really fascinating. It's going to be really that. I think that's probably the fun part of all this is that it's so different than what we've seen over the years that uh, at, at Purdue and a lot of places that you've got a young guy that to, can come in and kind of really wipe the slate clean of a program that we know over the last six years has made progress. And yet in today's transfer portal world, you got to manage it every year anyway. So I'm not sure it's, it, it matters. It matters that you got the fan base back. That's important. Uh, And that you're back on the, you know, it's played in the citrus bowl, even though it didn't go well, but uh, he's going to have to kind of start from scratch to extend almost every year in a lot of ways. Yeah, most coaches are. You're right. Not ideal, but you always got to be able to work that portal. That's probably going to be what separates all these programs, these coaches who can work the portal the best. Right. And Alan, a lot of that comes back to your 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 collective, your NIL situation. Yeah. Let's, let's not yeah. get our no team, doubt. Right? And uh, like it or not, you can kick and scream about it all you want. That's the reality. And Purdue's got the Boilermaker Alliance. We all know Jeff McKean, and they do they do good work there. So that's awfully important to Purdue's prospects of getting talent out of that portal. Now, uh, talking to Coach Walters, too, in Florida, spring football, Alan. Yeah, any news there? Never as never as far away as you think. But, you know, Jeff Brom would typically start that last week of February. He, he's a guy I like to get after it early. Well, sounds like. You know, Coach Walters really wants to get in eight solid weeks of, of weightlifting and conditioning through January and February to make sure everybody's physically ready for spring ball. And most likely, it sounds like they they could start spring football the week after spring break, mid-March or so. Uh, so we're looking March at 18th or so. Yeah, yeah maybe we're looking at like an uh, April 22nd spring football game. So that's, uh, that's for, 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 for those interested – I know I like spring football, but for those interested, that's sort of what I think the timetable looks like for spring ball when we first get our first looks at the initial incarnation of uh, Ryan Walter's staff and his personnel. And, you know, Alan, the spring game, too, uh, from, my, well, from what I'm already hearing, it's probably not going to be in Ross Stadium for obvious reasons. I hear there's a good chance that maybe it'll be at a local high school. So keep that on your radar, yeah. too, here. Yeah, of course, back in the days of the, as I remember, and you remember, uh, we were in a different working life. They played spring games at Carmel. They played one at uh, Merrillville, I believe, one time uh, uh, in Fort Wayne, back when Ross Aid was being renovated back in Joe Tiller era. Uh, One quick question, not off the wall, but does a later spring, I'm just looking at this conceptually, a later spring practice 
have any effect on raw? I mean, because there there certainly are guys that could, could enter the portal after spring ball. Does that change mm-hmm. things at all from your perspective in terms of that timing that it's now later? So therefore, guys might not join. You know, jump into the portal till later. I mean, is that is is anything on the calendar there have any impact on that decision making by Ryan Walters, at least in your estimation? No, I, I don't think so. Typically, Purdue was was so early. A lot of schools yeah. had, had a timetable that it looks like Coach Walters is going to have for spring ball. A lot, a lot of spring games right. would be in mid to late April. So this is this isn't on a, this isn't out of the ordinary. And the second portal window opens May first to May fifteenth. So basically, I'm guessing that April twenty second weekend is probably the, about me about your last weekend for for wholesale spring games across the country. I would agree. And, yeah, and everybody will have their calendar clear to spring football. Then you get to May, May first, like I said, May first to fifteenth. The fifteen day window opens up. That's when you'll see some more portal activity, guys coming and going. Guys have gone through spring ball. Maybe they say, hey, I guess I don't have much of a future here. Let me see what's going on. The handwriting's on the wall for me here. So, again, that, that that's your next window of, of, of big wholesale change. But, you know, you can even add guys in after that that window if they're, if they're grad transfers, too. Um, the grad transfers can, can, can come and go regardless of their um, – uh, if a window is open or not. So, you know, we saw Charlie Jones come, what, last May? I th- yeah. May, June, I think, even. So that that's yeah. when June. So, and it sounds like, like, like every staff, Coach Walters is going to be open for business all the way up to the start of training camp and game number one, probably. So uh, this roster is going to be in flux for months, I think, as they continue to pr- try to put their, their, their stamp on it. Yeah. Going to be interesting and a new way of doing business in athletics. Go ahead, Tom. Hey, Ray, real quick, too. Now, I mean, I, I could probably talk for an hour here, but Brady Allen. Yes, um, go ahead. Brady, to, Allen, Brady Allen, he's visiting Ole Miss. And uh, expect, uh, I, I'm told to expect a decision here on his future this weekend. So by the time people are watching this or maybe on Sunday, we'll know what, what Brady Allen's future holds, Allen. And, and don't discount him coming back to Purdue. I think there's still a real good chance he could he could come back to West Lafayette. I know he, I know there's been dialogue with Graham Harrell and Coach Walters, and uh, I know Brady's been told he'll be welcome back with open arms. And uh, and I know Brady loves Purdue, and I know his family loves Purdue. So I still think there's a lot of synergy there uh, between Brady Allen and, and the university. So yes, he is visiting Ole Miss, but. Uh, Again, uh, I think there is, is 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 a decent chance maybe he remains a boilermaker. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it will be. And and I, again, I, as a broad stroke reason, guys, it'd be just good to see him go through spring ball and make his call. I I, I know that that's yeah, not yeah, as easy go through easy spring ball. And then, wait, 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 real quick on that again. I tell you what, Alan, I I, I don't think we're Purdue's going to lose any other guys in the portal. I really don't. I don't. I think we've seen things on social media. Tweets guys have sent out. Marcus Bow sounds like he's yeah, staying. It's a big he's deal. Tearaway. Uh, and we know Devin Mockaby's not going anywhere. I'm not sure about Corday sitting there. He's a guy. He's one of the guys you wouldn't want to lose. But I don't, I don't anticipate him going jumping in the portal. My point is, these guys, at least for now, they're going to go through spring football, right? And I know Coach Walters has talked to everybody. And, and done his best to get these guys to buy in, give them a chance. So that that's a great sign, right? Marcus Bowe, yeah, who's, uh, 
you know, Devin Mockaby, uh, Corday Sidner, Nick Carraway, probably your top guys you wouldn't want to see jump in the portal. Sounds like, at least from my, the way I'm reading things, I get the feeling these guys are locked in for now, Alan, which is great. It's a great sign for Purdue football, I think. Yeah, it's funny because I interviewed Cordy Sindor um, after one of the practices before the bowl. Really upbeat guy, and he did. Yeah. Uh, and again, could be dead wrong. Seemed like he was happy to be here and uh, and talk about that. But it was going to be interesting to see what happens. You know what? You, there is no off season in this uh, this world. It's just it's it's, 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 it'll it's, slow yeah. down at some point, but. But, There's a lot uh, going on. There's a lot with the coaching change. Obviously, keeps you keeps you hopping. But there 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 be stuff going on. Obviously, regardless if there's a coaching change or not, you know, there's always going to be staff changes every year, no matter who your head coach is. And the portal is always going to be hopping too. So, uh, well, boy, sport, pretty pretty sports fans. They got the basketball. They got the football. There there's no shortage of things to keep everybody interested in West Lafayette and beyond. Yeah. Big, big win over Ohio State last night. Uh, we'll talk with Carmen and uh, Ryan Newbert about, but uh, a lot, a lot of fun from that standpoint. All right, one last question for you. You know, TCU is an interesting situation. Obviously, Gary Patterson did a great job elevating that program. I, and I, you always want to look at things from a Purdue perspective. I, I know Purdue's a long way away from being in that situation. Uh, mm. You know, but it is proof. And I know TCU's, you know, all the way back to what Sammy Ball or whatever they had. They've got a they've got a storied program to some extent. Yeah. Two things: one, do you see TCU hanging with Georgia on Monday? But then also, <laughs> is that model of what you know they switch things? I know Sonny Dykes comes in and he's a, he, just a different way of doing things. He's an offensive guy and he's, he's had more experience than Ryan Walters. The point is, it does give you that feeling with a twelve-team playoff that. Things are possible in this world. You know, I, I get that. Yeah, exactly right. And um, all you want is a chance, right? And uh, TCU showed that, hey, these, these quote-unquote non-elite schools can stand shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with these elite programs and not just compete but win. I mean, we always knew that. But it was such a limited pool of teams that got in this playoff, which made it ridiculous you never even got a crack at a Michigan if you're a TCU before. Yeah. And now with this 12-team playoff coming in 2024, you know, we're, we're going to get more of a look at, at some of these programs that aren't always true and true uh, year-to-year year, year Blue Bloods. And uh, we all know, Al, we watch college football. Any given Saturday, crazy things can happen. I'm not saying a team like TCU could win three games and win a national title. It's going to be difficult, but – they certainly could yeah. maybe win a game or two in a 12-team. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they do catch lightning in the bottle like we see basketball teams do in, in, in the big dance in March. So I like it. Uh, I think it keeps more schools engaged, gives more schools things to sell. And uh, and for Purdue, like you said, uh, now, now, now there's that much greater of an opportunity for a school like a Purdue if it's really hitting on all cylinders one year and then and things line up from them maybe to sneak in and get a bid. And then again, once you're in, Alan, as you know, anything anything goes, and anything could happen once you get in that playoff. Yeah, no doubt, it's gonna be an interesting game. Uh, you're still liking Georgia though to take yeah, care of business yeah, on Monday night. Aren't you? Yeah, I mean, good. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see TCU win. Don't don't get me wrong. I know Georgia didn't play that well. I know they weren't happy with how they played against the Buckeyes, and maybe you know Kirby Smart's not gonna. He's going to be able to use that as motivation, I think, not to overlook TCU. Hey, look, we didn't play that great against Ohio State. We should have probably lost. Here's Texas Christian and just knocked off Michigan. So 
my point is, I don't think Georgia is going to be overlooking Texas Christian at all. And uh, I think a chance to win another national title is going to be even more motivation for, for it looks like college football's new juggernaut, right? Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, hey, always enjoy the conversation and great coverage down in Orlando of a game that uh, <laughs> the definition yeah, F, is, F, is in, F is in futile. But uh, like I said, it's turned, we've turned the page and uh, you're right on that. It's a lot to look forward to. A lot of interesting things going on in the world of Purdue football here in the next period of time. It is going to be interesting no matter what, how successful we'll see. But uh, I think it's going to be, a, it is going to be an interesting storyline. So, all right. Uh, we appreciate our sponsor Union Club Hotel and uh, we'll probably, uh, I don't know during basketball we'll definitely have have Tom in here and because oh, yeah. uh, there's going to be a lot of news to talk about so we enjoy that as well uh, have a great weekend to your weekend everybody and stay tuned to goldenblack.com I'm part of the on three network uh, uh, we appreciate uh, them as well in the Union Club Hotel for all that they do for us so have a great weekend everybody.